1: This is where we revel in wrong things. I know it sounds like a terribly dangerous, maybe even wicked thing to do. But when you live in a time where there is so much disinformation, misinformation and misdirection, it's a necessity. If you want to stay tethered to reality. So if you're one of those folks, if, if you believe that truth matters more than comforting lies or for that matter, the accolades or acceptance of the crowd, this is the place. I encourage you to come and find camaraderie and courage. To face the world as it is, and to use your influence as wisely as possible, no matter where you happen to be standing at the moment. By the way, our show is brought to you by great sponsors like HSLAmmo.com, also by Pure-Light.com, and MonticelloCollege.org. Check out the show notes at the TheBrianHydeShow.com. You'll find links to each of these sponsors down at the bottom of today's show notes. So... We're going to talk about a couple of things here starting with ideas that are good and then ideas that are so good that people have to be forced to adopt them. I don't know who said it first but I really like the idea that if if your idea is so great that it has to be enforced at gunpoint it may not be such a great idea. In other words if it's if it's so good that it has to be mandatory backed by state force Maybe your idea could use a little bit of work. Uh, There's a good example of this, by the way, too. Jeffrey Tucker highlights a case where a Florida court recently ruled against using political force involving masks. And this comes on the heels of a decision that I think was handed down last week. A judge, a federal judge in Houston, found that uh, a hospital chain, I think it was Methodist Hospital or something there in, in Houston, was within their rights to fire or to threaten to fire employees who did not receive the COVID-19 vaccination. Now, if you're on the side of vaccinations, especially if you're on the side of, hey, everybody should have them whether they want them or not, well, that'll probably make you smile, but... If if you understand the importance of autonomy, if you understand the importance of uh, you don't violate a person's right of conscience, and certainly when it comes to medical things, you don't force people to participate in something that they don't have the will or the, the desire to be a part of. Consent matters. And especially when you're dealing with an, an illness that, while real, and serious for some people, particularly those who are seventy years of age or older and who have you know certain comorbidities. For most everybody else, you know, COVID turns out to be, you know, it may be unpleasant for some, for some it's just like a mild cold. But the point is upwards of ninety nine percent of people who get COVID tend to survive it. So I don't understand the panic. But here's the story. This is from RealClearMarkets.com. A Florida court sanely rules against political force involving masks. Now, I particularly like uh, Jeffrey Tucker. I've I've followed his work for quite a long time. And uh, I think especially at the American Institute for Economic Research, he has been absolutely marvelous. On this issue. And, and I'm going to preface this story by saying one of the things that I like about Jeffrey Tucker is the fact that he has uh, taken it upon himself to educate himself the best he can about viruses, about uh, the, the biology involved, about, you know, virology and how pandemics historically have been handled. Well, now, that doesn't make him a doctor. You know, you've seen the, the meme of, you know, don't confuse your Google search with my medical degree. By that same token, don't confuse your God complex and your financial incentives from Big Pharma with my ability to use one of the best search engines and one of the greatest truth-gathering tools that the world has ever seen to learn for myself what the side effects may be or what uh, what I'm not being told by a media and others that seem to have an agenda. And by the way, he didn't just do Google searches. Jeffrey actually sat down and read a number of different books, different sources. I mean, we're talking some fairly heavy sources. But my point is simply this. He paid the price. Not waiting for somebody to tell him. There may have been certain experts he spoke to. There may have been people he asked for clarification who have, you know, deeper knowledge in that area. But he actually went after it himself. That's a great example for you and me, because if if everything you're getting is coming to you in the form of media talking points or memes on social media or, you know, otherwise, you know, well, an expert said do it, so I guess I better do it, you're not getting the complete picture. Jeffrey Tucker says, we've all been there, or most of us have, during these last 16 months. We've wondered, am I the crazy one or has the world gone crazy? We were subjected to astounding mandates, among which were restrictions on movement, commerce, travel, even worship. Government officials shut down vast amounts of society and told us it was necessary and really a normal thing to do because of the public health emergency. And then you have Dr. Anthony Fauci telling Chelsea Clinton on her podcast, I've been the object myself of a phenomenal amount of hostility, merely because I'm promoting what are really fundamental, simple public health principles. Now, Jeffrey Tucker says, look, there's a name for this. It's called gaslighting. There is nothing in public health principles that would ban elective surgeries, force kids into a Zoom life, close movies and theaters, or issue stay-at-home orders. Nothing like this has ever happened. And yet we're now told, well, this is normal. Stop complaining. He says, "In in the list of terrible impositions, the mask mandates seemed like the least of the problems. When mom can't get a cancer screening, the kids seem to be losing their minds. Small businesses are collapsing. Artists are out of work for the duration. The requirement that you wear a government-approved face cloth seems minor by comparison. And he says, perhaps this is why we put up with it. Even those of us who found them ridiculous and antisocial, we all finally acquiesced. And he says, that's how it always works in dystopia. The managers of society negotiate on the extreme measures while allowing the culture to adapt to the minor ones. And people eventually go along with the new normal. He says, I fear this is what happened to the whole culture. Which is why mask mandates have generated far less controversy than I might have otherwise expected. But he says, I've got a court decision you should read. And there is a link in his article to that court decision. So if you're a stickler for I want to see it for myself. All right, here you go. It was issued by Florida's First District Court of Appeal, written by Judge Adam Tannenbaum, and also signed by Judge Robert Long, along with a dissent signed by Judge Joseph Lewis. Jeffrey Tucker says, reading it was a revelation to me. It is so sensible, so obvious, so white-hot in its fury, that it serves as a kind of wake-up call. Why precisely did we go along? The original plaintiff in the suit was businessman Justin Green, who sued the state back when mandates were in effect. Hence, why the lawsuit lists one of the now great emancipators, Ron DeSantis, as a defendant. The lower court decided against the plaintiff on grounds that there was a public health emergency, and hence mask mandates are wholly justified. Now, the mandate was since repealed, so one might think there would be no case for appeal. Well, the appellate judges didn't see it that way. If it can happen once... It can happen again. They sought to make a constitutional case that can serve as a precedent, even if the lower court doesn't revisit the issue. So this decision stands as a model for other courts around the country. Here are a few excerpts. And he says, The opening is a satisfying blast of clarity. Quote, From May 2020 until around mid-May 2021, anyone residing in or visiting Alachua County has found himself under the yoke of a mask mandate accomplished through a series of emergency orders from the from the chair of the Board of County Commissioners. Under these fiats, any person in the county had to wear a government-approved face covering to patronize a restaurant, grocery store, or retail establishment, visit or work on a construction site, or use public transit. The diktats also required that a person cover his face in any location where social distancing measures are not possible. One consequence for being caught without a mask was a fine. Another consequence was being subjected to whispering informants impelled by county-designed rather publicity, like the following proposed signage, encouraging citizens to inform on their disobedient neighbors. The threat of government-sponsored shaming was not an idle one. Now, we're going to come back to this in just a moment, just the other side of the break, but yeah... That pretty well describes, I think, the situation most of us saw as we uh, experienced the last 14 months. So when we come back, we're going to talk about how a free society works and why the court was right to rule against using political force involving face masks. Now, if you feel better with a face mask, if you feel like, hey, this actually does make me safer, I'm not going to tell you that you're dumb or that you're a sheep for doing so. But I'm definitely going to insist you have no moral authority to force other people to do as you do. So we'll revisit that just the other side of our break back in just a moment.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I'm sharing an article from Jeffrey Tucker. It's uh, published on realclearmarkets.com. Florida court sanely rules against political force involving masks. And he starts with the opening of the decision. And it lists a whole series of different things that uh, were required under emergency orders from the chair of the board of county commissioners in Alachua County, Florida including things like well you got to wear a mask if you want to uh work on a construction site or visit a construction site or use public transit all those sorts of things and he asks jeffrey asks just on the face of it he says check your intuition about how a free society works does this make any sense you know, being fined for not being for not being for being caught rather without a mask, or uh, being uh, subjected to whispering informants, and impelled by county-designed publicity, like signage encouraging ins- their citizens to inform on their disobedient neighbors. I mean, the the term "Karen" has really come to mean something in the last year and a half. And Jeff Tucker asks the question: Is it fitting for government to issue such mandates? And enforce them with these creepy tactics. Surely not, but he says the burden of the court was to figure out precisely why. And the upshot of the opinion is to hold, to uphold rather, a long established precedent in courts at all levels. There is such a thing as a right to privacy. It's your body, your choice. The court merely applied that thinking to masks. The opinion reads, a person can reasonably expect not to be forced by the government to put something on his own face against his will. And Tucker says, Florida's own constitution includes a guarantee of bodily and personal inviolability, which must include the inviolability of something so intimate as one's own face. A person then can reasonably expect to be free from governmental coercion regarding what he puts on it. Now, Jeffrey Tucker says, my non-expert read of this opinion is that it pertains only to government and law and does not address private institutions and their rules. So, for example, a store could ask people to wear masks and not run afoul of this decision. He says, to my mind, this appellate court decision is correct in every way. The decision further suggests that the same thinking could also rule out other invasions, such as mandatory testing and vaccination, plus quarantines. All of which impinged on individual rights. The decision ends by anticipating the thinking of the dissenting opinion. Quote, there is this warning from William Pitt the Younger, roughly paraphrasing a similar sentiment in John Milton's Paradise Lost Necessity is the plea for every infringement of human freedom. And Tucker says, sure enough, the dissent merely asserts that a mask mandate is minimal inconvenience and its benefits to the public in potentially reducing the spread of COVID 19 outweigh any inconvenience further the mandate is not permanent and subject to review by the experts hence there is no real problem the need to take measures to control the spread of covid-19 clearly outweighs all other considerations now jeff tucker says the dissent really nails what's always bugged me about the public health excuse for throttling or eliminating basic freedoms once you grant it once you say to powerful people that they can do what they want to your body and rights so long as they have a good excuse, you create a grave moral hazard. It's a tyrant's dream. Cite the right reasons and restrictions on the use of power vanish. He says, as the, years of lock, as the year of lockdowns went on, we began to see the assertion of an interesting new right that supposedly trumps all others. The right not to be exposed to germs. Even the lower court in the case invoked that idea. The right not to wear a mask is no more precious than the corresponding right of his fellow citizens not to become infected by that person and potentially hospitalized. And Jeff Tucker says, here is where we bumped into a major issue that needs a complete rethinking. We are now and have always been and always will be surrounded by invisible pathogens. A government that acts on the supposed right not to be infected by germs is one that can assume totalitarian powers. Conceding that right is astonishingly dangerous. It would pretty well destroy the social order. Further, it would wreck public health simply because exposure is precisely how humans have evolved via the immune system to avoid severe outcomes of the most invasive forms of pathogens. He says the assertions over this past year of the right not to be exposed to germs, I'm pretty sure this is a recent invention, could only have come from sources that are unaware of modern science and 20th century discoveries in the field of immunology. It is to draw on an unscientific and deeply primitive instinct to run away, isolate, and stigmatize. It is born of the same mindset that regards changes in the weather as a reflection of divine judgment. But he says these days... You have otherwise intelligent people dabbling in it without a serious thought concerning its implications for human liberty. And this, says Jeffrey Tucker, is one reason why I'm grateful for this opinion from Florida's District Court of Appeals. It taps into an intuition that most everyone had before last year governments cannot mandate we all strap a cloth to our faces that has been worn down in the course of dealing with so many myriad attacks on our liberty. We have to get the intuition back concerning what it means to be and act like we are people blessed with freedom and rights. By the way, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, Jeffrey Tucker also wrote a book called Liberty or Lockdown. I have not yet had a chance to get my hands on a copy, but given his articles and his columns that he has written over the last 16 months or so, I assume it would be well worth your time. First chance I get. I will definitely be taking a look. There's a link to this in the show notes at com. I'm just grateful that there was some common sense. I Look, I don't want to sound like I'm very anti-judge or anti-judiciary, but... It's, it's rare that you find judges that will come down not on the side of government or, you know, greater coercion. They're very good at finding, you know, uh, emanations and penumbras and other, you know, legal uh, means to ensure that the states will triumphs. And for some people, that's a good thing. That's that's considered, you know, <laughs> well, of course it should. They know what's best for us. Do they really? Or do you know what's best for you? I also find it interesting and, and, and in fact, quite disturbing that uh, the more you look around us, the more you start to see signs, and this is primarily at retail establishments, saying, okay, fully vaccinated people may enter this establishment unmasked, unvaccinated. They either say you are encouraged to, or in some cases you are required to wear a face mask. And for all the talk we hear about how, remember the days of segregation, those Jim Crow laws? Why, that was just wicked. I'm sorry, but vaccinated only is the equivalent of whites only in our time. I'm just shocked that there are people who can't seem to see it. We are currently implementing a two-tiered society with dwindling rights for those people who are not part of the favored crowd. Of course, this time it's based on who's vaccinated versus who isn't rather than skin color, but it still just seems shady. There was a great article by Rachel Marsden. This was on LewRockwell.com. Two tier societies are emerging. And Rachel says, while the authorities keep saying that COVID-19 vaccination isn't obligatory, at least not yet, good luck trying to live a normal life without it. She says it's clear the ostracization of those who haven't had the jab is well underway. Last year at this time, COVID-19 cases fell significantly without any substantial measures as everything opened up for the summer and powers that be in some countries allowed life to return to normal for a few months, all in the absence of vaccination. But she says this year, exactly the same phenomenon is being observed in 2020, and it's being attributed to mass inoculation. You see what they're doing? The narrative is that this is what's saving us from covid And now the pressure's on to force everyone into compliance, lest they want to live any semblance of normal life, starting with summer travel. We're going to come back to this in just a few moments, but can we agree there's some rhetorical sleight of hand that's taking place here? Or at least there's some manipulation of public opinion about, uh, wow, well, the cases have dropped drastically. It must be because so many people have had the jab. We forget the same thing happened last summer, though, right? Right. We'll be back in just a moment. This is the Brian Hyde show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back. Again, I'm encouraging you to check out the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. I've got a link to this article from Rachel Marsden. Two-tier societies are emerging with dwindling rights for the unvaccinated. Now, if you have your vaccine, I mean, you be, could be thinking, well, oh, you know, well, I'm good. Yeah, it doesn't bother me, but <clears throat> I'm, I'm trying to take the, the larger uh, perspective here. And I'm trying to consider where does this lead? Where does it go when we, you know, have different uh, different rights, different freedoms for people based on whether or not they're vaccinated? I mean, it's not like people are running around, well, the, the unvaccinated are going around infecting everybody they know. In fact, wasn't it just last week that the first only, or the, I mean the first ever vaccinated only crews had two cases of people diagnosed with COVID, you know, after they'd all been vaccinated. It's almost like the virus doesn't care what government mandates are being pronounced and written on paper. And Rachel Marsden says, you know, the idea is that uh, we're, the pressure's on now to force everyone into compliance. If you want to live a normal life, and 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 summer travel is a big way that they're doing this. She says holiday options are shaping up to be Quite different, depending on whether you're vaccinated or not. So France is now exempting vaccinated travelers from Europe and zero COVID countries from quarantine and testing. But even vaccinated travelers from the U.S. and elsewhere need to produce a negative test result before their flight. Which begs the question, well, if the vaccine is so reliable, why do you need the test at all? Unvaccinated travelers from outside Europe aren't even allowed to come to France for tourism. And if they must for an imperative reason a pre and post flight test and 7 day quarantine is imposed upon arrival Canada currently forces its own returning citizens the only travelers for whom the borders is open the border is open rather to quarantine in a government designated facility at the travelers prepaid expense of up to $2000 where they await a negative test result before completing the remaining 14 day quarantine at home dang The hotel quarantine could be scrapped sometime this summer, but only for fully vaccinated returning Canadians, despite the fact that a scientific expert panel advised the government to drop the hotel quarantine altogether. So Rachel Mastin says, hassle-free travel to these countries and others is almost fully dependent on vaccination. Even though these same governments have so little faith in the jab itself, That they still require vaccinated travelers to be tested unless they're coming in from a place where COVID-19 is so rare as to be virtually non-existent. Makes you wonder what the point of vaccine-based travel restrictions are if they're viewed as so shoddy they can't be trusted to prevent spread. She says these rules reflect what we've already been told. That the vaccine doesn't prevent disease or transmission, but rather reduces the likelihood of severe illness in the relative few who may have been prone to it. Nor is the vaccine seemingly enough to allow life to go back to pre-pandemic norms in some places. Even as the annual virus season draws to an end and summer ramps up. While some country swimming pools and gyms are back to relatively normal capacity and use, others are still making patrons sign up for limited time slots and swim up one lane and down another in order to maintain social distancing between length of swimmers. So presumably they uh, don't risk infecting someone while breathing during the front crawl. Meanwhile, she says some American and Canadian universities are requiring COVID vaccination as a condition of attendance this fall. And she asks, why is this all necessary when it doesn't stop transmission and anyone who's worried about getting a serious form of COVID has already had the shot? A medical advisory panel in France is also recommending that the vaccine be obligatory for certain public-facing professions and for school kids. This effectively means that any individuals who choose not to vaccinate, either because they already have natural immunity from the disease or figure that what they risk from the disease isn't worth the potential long-term risks of taking a vaccine based on new experimental technology, they're going to find themselves with limited options. She says there's absolutely no justification for forcing everyone or anyone, rather, for that matter, to vaccinate, for travel or otherwise. This mantra is being bandied about that everyone has to do their part and take the shot in order to protect others. But she says that's just nonsense. The proof is in the lack of confidence that the governments themselves are showing this summer by demanding that even the fully vaccinated take COVID tests. Here's the point. The jab protects one person. The jabbed. That's it. And no one should be ostracized or inconvenienced as a result of making a different choice for whatever reason. The highly personal medical decision is being misrepresented as some kind of collective necessity and is marginalizing those wanting to make a choice that's different from the one that governments are pushing. Since self-protection from serious forms of COVID-19 is in the hands of each individual, why exactly is the individual who chooses differently considered such a threat? That is a great question. But that's exactly what people are being treated like. You are a threat, and that's why you have to do this. Look, I don't care what side of the debate you're on, okay? If you if you feel like the vaccine is worthwhile, I encourage you, do what you think is best for yourself. If that means, you know, getting the vaccine, do it. If you have hesitancy about it, then don't. But above all, the, the mindset that needs to be adopted, or at least the, the principle that needs to be understood is that none of us have the moral authority to force other people. And I don't care if it's through direct government coercion or whether it's through indirect coercion via, you know, the business community is doing the bidding of government by requiring that anybody entering its private property do this. I think the relationship between government and private entities changes when those entities become unpaid enforcers of government policy. And I'm not encouraging anybody, you know, to, to go out there and be lawless. Don't be an outlaw. Don't go out there and victimize people. At the same time, I think you only have as many rights as you are willing to stand up and exert and use and claim and defend. I mean, I, I'll, I'll take this back to an, an example of the, um, the the concealed carry debate. I've seen places where it's like, well, you know, if a business posts a sign, we don't want any guns in our theaters or in our stores or whatever. That's fine. But my right to self-defense is something that I take very seriously. And so now it becomes a question of who takes their right more seriously. So here's, here's a business that has a sign posted, no guns allowed, no weapons of any kind allowed here. Well... If you have metal detectors or you have people out front checking with wands, then I'm going to guess, okay, you must take your rights seriously enough, you know, your private property right to control access to your property, you know, the people who are coming there and to make sure that they aren't carrying anything that could be a weapon. On the other hand, if I'm carrying a concealed firearm, it's out of sight, it's out of mind. I'm not going to go out there and flaunt it for everybody. Look at me. You can't tell me what to do. I'm just going to quietly do it. And I know that may upset some people. Brian, their wish is that you don't do it. I understand their wish. But unless they're willing to enforce their wish by really going to the lengths necessary, metal detectors, guards, you know, wanding people as they come in and out, I'm going to exercise my right peacefully, And quietly, and of course on the sly, because no harm is being done. Rather than leave my firearm, you know, unattended somewhere in my car where it could be stolen or otherwise, I'm just going to keep it concealed. I will exercise my rights, and if they are determined enough that, well, we're going to put up these barriers, we're going to make sure you can't do it, then I will, you know, have a decision to make. Do I want what they have to offer bad enough that I'm willing to, okay, I'll respect, you know, your your determination to enforce that right to private property, or will I just exercise my own with the understanding that uh, what I'm doing is not harming them? They're not even aware of it. What they don't know won't hurt them. Now, this is just my way of approaching it. I'm not telling you you have to approach it that way as well. And for some people, you know, even some of my friends within the shooting community may say, hey, I think I've got a problem with that. And that's, I understand. Maybe that's not for everybody, but that's, my conscience is okay with it. And, and so that's uh, that's the route I would take. And whoever it was who said, look, if I'm there, it's not a gun-free zone. <laughs> I think that's actually not a bad sentiment, especially considering the times that we live in and some of the uh, interesting uh, challenges and dangers that uh, that we seem to be facing. When we come back, I want to share a, a very encouraging message from Alan Stevo. saw a great article of his over the weekend on LewRockwell.com. And I'll say this, no matter how out of control the world may appear, your example matters more than you think. And Alan Stevo has a marvelous message We will share it with you right after this break.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This
1: is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Again, if you are new to Wrong Think, if you're new to the Brian Hyde Show, I'm glad you're part of the audience. I'm glad you at least gave it a chance. And if you've stuck around this long, maybe you are finding something of value or something that, uh, you know, gives you a little shot of courage, puts a little steel in your spine because we need it for the times in which we live. And it's not that I have all the answers. I just, I have a pretty clear understanding though, of how important and how precious our personal liberties are our freedom of conscience. How important uh, the the respect of, of private property rights, you know, on the part of government can be. And so that's that's what I stand for. I believe that free markets provide more good to people. What we call capitalism is often misunderstood as crony capitalism. I think it's really just free markets. People being free to innovate and voluntarily cooperate with one another and create value. Free of government interference. <clears throat> it's a very radical idea. And yet, once upon a time, it was much more normalized in our society. It was as normal for people to think this way as it was for, you know, people in our time to uh, to wear masks. <laughs> I'm just curious, whatever, whatever happened, why did it fall out of fashion? Something that I have observed um, often over the last 25 years or so is that uh, we have greater influence than we think. I watch very little news these days, mainly because there's, there's very little um, factual information that can really contribute to my understanding of the world. There's an agenda, there's a narrative, there's a story that's being told that I'm supposed to believe. So, you know, if I was of the mindset, is this what I'm supposed to think? Okay, you know, then, then I'd be great to sit down and watch it every night, faithfully. Some people do. But instead, I'm more focused on other things like, how can I use whatever influence I have wisely as possible? And if you tell yourself, well, I don't really have any influence, hey, stop hiding behind false modesty or stop being afraid of the fact that you do have influence. You have influence with your family members, within your household, within your neighborhood, at your workplace. You have a circle of influence. You know, your church congregation, people look up to you. And I want to share this article from Alan Stevo. It's titled, Be a Rock for Another. He says, be a rock for another in tumultuous times, like these in which we live. Be that person, reliable, who can be there for another. Now, he says, reliable can be many things. One thing it means is that something be done well and regularly. You may speak truth reliably. You may show up on time reliably. You may pay your bills reliably. You may be emotionally stable reliably. His point is that doing so allows you to be a rock to another. It allows that person to feel good in trusting you, letting down their guard, giving them an opportunity to relax. Here's the kicker you don't have to be perfect to be reliable. And you don't have to do all of these things to be reliable. If you do something well and regularly, seeking to be more reliable, well, then he says you're moving in the right direction. But he also points out it is the duty of every person to grow as reliable as possible for those around them. That's a fundamental component of leadership. The more tumultuous the time, the more this is demanded of you. To provide a port for others in a storm, to provide a rock to anchor steadily upon, to provide a shelter in troublesome weather. This duty falls upon you, you who are reading this. Now, he says, I challenge you to be as reliable as you can for those around you, and in all ways possible, but especially on the stability of your emotions and the soundness of your ideas, as well as your hesitancy to rush to conclusions. Such reliability can be found in the certainty that you will not be the chicken little running around town screaming that the sky is falling, and that you won't be the chicken with its head cut off running around the room uncontrollably. Some believe that out of control... Despite the fact that they are no chicken, or some behave rather, that they're out of control, despite the fact that they are no chicken and that their head remains firmly in place, but out of control is exactly how many people choose to live their lives. Well, Alan Stevo says, I challenge you to be the reliable one around you. For instance, he says, face masks aren't about face masks. They're about reliability sensibility, courage, honesty, communication, determining who can be trusted, determining who is an enemy to those who would manipulate us. He who is of stable mind and stable emotion is an enemy to those who would manipulate manipulate us, rather, for he is a bulwark against their manipulation. And once you realize this about yourself, he says you see what tools of yours are so powerful in defeating the enemy, in protecting those you love most in protecting from the manipulation those who shelter under you. In doing so, you realize this great strength of yours, and the more you use it, the stronger it becomes, and the more you realize how useful it can be and when. Alan Steevel writes, The more responsible you become, the more you learn to yield that responsibility dangerously. The more effective you become at providing for so many around you. In doing so, you provide what so few in society are willing to provide. The face mask is not about the face mask. The vaccine is not about the vaccine. Both are symptoms of weakness among men. And so he asks, how will you walk through this era? Will you walk through this era weak, obedient, unreliable? Or will you walk through this era being the rock that others so need you to be? He says, be that rock and watch everyone around you prosper. You, most of all, when you rise up to be the reliable leader, he says, you take on burdens willingly and you prosper abundantly. So tomorrow's not the time to begin that work. Tomorrow is not promised to us. Tomorrow is especially not promised to us in such tumultuous times. So he says, do not be someone who looked back on an opportunity and regrettably says, I squandered that. Now, he says, I'm not talking about an opportunity for a good job. I'm not talking about an opportunity for a fun vacation. I'm not talking about an opportunity to watch an interesting movie that only played one time on television in 1986. I'm talking about a time at this point in history that will never be repeated again, that is crucial to the future of our civilization as we know it and crucial to the survival of our loved ones as we know them a period that so many are willingly squandering instead of simply being courageous enough to be responsible. This is the part that really hit home. He says, this moment needs you. I don't know why, but it reminds me of my friend Lavoy Finnicum, who used to say, we were born for this time. Think about that and apply that personally. Alan Stevo says, it doesn't need you to write me emails about how unfair the world is to men. Are you even a man if you obsess over such things? This moment doesn't need you to worry about what's in it for you. Leaders who work diligently and take on challenges willingly are leaders who come to prosper abundantly. This moment doesn't need you to worry about whether you're capable enough. All skills start from zero and grow from there. You were once unable to walk. Did infant you say, that looks impossible, hardly even worth trying? No. That didn't happen. You rose to the occasion then and many times since to do what may have once seemed like the impossible. And his point is, this is not impossible. Growing in your dedication to others, growing in your level of responsibility, growing in your level of leadership. This is all natural to he who sees this moment for what it is. A time that will either lead to the enslavement of you and your family or or a time that will lead to your resounding freedom. But no middle ground exists. Your enemy will enslave you if you do not man up. And so he asks, will you man up? The hour is late. You're not needed on the couch. You're not needed in front of endless YouTube videos. You're not needed in perpetual escapism. You're needed here, active, living, every moment as freely as possible, courageously, being the emotional and philosophical rock for all around you, being the leader and improving the things about you that need improving so that you can lead better and better each day. Alan Stevo says the world around you needs you too. Not a moment can be wasted. The enemy's not sitting around. Come fall when flu season begins, if we have not done away with all the vestiges of the past flu season, all the vestiges of this awful Corona communism. If we cannot do away with those and bring our level of freedom to a new height, we may very very well be stuck with this new normal. Time is short. And he says, you are needed now. I absolutely love this essay. And, and I think it's in part because it very well seems to jive with what I am, am trying to do on a daily basis. I don't consider myself a rock. I consider myself a pretty... Uh, Pretty squishy guy in most ways. But there are some things I'm pretty firm about. My love of freedom is one of those things. And I don't just want it for me. I want other people to recognize it too and to claim theirs. So I encourage you, find the bravery to stand up and be who you were born to be. Take Alan Stevo's advice and be that rock.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. A trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with Destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This
1: is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome to the show. I'm glad you could be a part of our growing audience of wrong thinkers. Ah, they're not bad people. Not even evil. Not even slightly evil. Just people who understand that there are limits as to what others may rightfully demand of us and a willingness to stand up and assert your freedoms and to stand as a free man or a free woman and and claim your autonomy. It's kind of exhilarating too, but I'm telling you, it is it is not getting easier these days. There are so many forces that are trying to paint us into a corner. You will do this. You will do that. And And of course, it's not just government, there are a lot of people who have bought into the idea that uh, whatever someone in authority has said, whatever this expert has said, or just for that matter, whatever my favorite per- political personality is saying, gives me the right to tell you what you need to do. Not a big fan of that. I think as long as something's peaceful, people should be free to do it. They should be free to pursue their happiness. I understand for some people that's a very radical point of view. If this is the point where you say, eh, pfft, I've heard enough, switching it off. I'm gonna go back to something that to uh, that affirms whatever it is that I think. I totally understand. And I'm not saying that because because you're so dumb you can't see it. Some people just aren't ready for certain ideas, certain truths, and that's that's okay. If if at this point in time you're not one of my people, I'm not offended. You know, I I wish you go in peace, go find happiness. But I also know for a fact there are people who are really looking for better understanding of what's going on around them. They're looking for a shot of encouragement that it's okay. It's okay to stand up for yourself. It is okay to assert your rights, to claim them, use them, and defend them. It's not selfish. It's not, uh, you know, anathema to what a good citizen should be doing. So, I'm here to provide that encouragement and I'm happy to do it. In fact, if I could just be blunt, I really believe that uh, this is there's there's a purpose in why I do what I do. I find great purpose and happiness in it and I think that uh, God has given me some some gifts to work with that that help very well in in that pursuit. By the way, that's a very different thing from I'm God's gift to radio or podcasting. Nope. Nope. I just happen to appreciate what I've been given. Nothing more. So let's start with some good news here. You ever take a trip overseas? You ever fly to Europe or to Asia or Australia or New Zealand? Actually, I actually was just talking with a friend who's been, uh, you know, working uh, with a company in New Zealand. And wow, what an, what an amazing thing. And I just say this based on, you know, travel is cool, but holy cow. I've done a couple of ten-hour flights to and from Europe, and I gotta say, sitting on a plane for ten hours, it's not that much fun. <laughs> okay, I'm stating the obvious here, but it's hard. <clears throat> if, if you can, if you can find the room to stretch out and maybe sleep a little bit, that's one thing. But oh man, by the end of of ten hours, I'm stir crazy and my legs hurt because I haven't been able to stretch them. So when I see an article that says supersonic air travel may once again become a thing, well, my ears perk up. So I have a daughter who lives in Germany. I'm thinking, yeah. Maybe this is is something worth looking into. Well, thanks to a Denver-based startup called Boom Supersonic, travel times or flight times could soon be cut in half. John Hersey has uh, written a, a piece for the Foundation for Economic Education. And I like that he gives credit where credit's due. So, you know, this, this startup, well, that's great. Hey, hopefully they're going to get rich, but it's it's capitalism. It's the power of the market which incentivizes businesses to experiment and find the best means of satisfying customers. And, and if that business wins, it's only because their customers are winning. Here's what John Hersey says. He says Denver-based startup Boom Supersonic has been developing a passenger jet that will fly faster than the speed of sound. And United Airlines recently announced a deal to buy 15 of them with an option to buy 35 more if tests go as planned. But what if they don't, some people are asking. What if Boom's planes prove unsafe for people and the planet? Now, understandably, people want answers before lives are on the line. Well, he points out that all progress involves risks. Some of those risks are known, some are unknown, but some people overestimate risks because they operate on the assumption that a business interests inherently conflict with those of its customers. It's the company's bottom line versus the customer's safety or that of the world at large. Now he says most of us seem to recognize at some level in our personal lives that regardless of any seeming short-term gain, harming others doesn't help us. Lying, cheating, stealing, acting recklessly are not ingredients for building a good life, and they're not strategies for success, but recipes for failure. Yet many, many nonetheless hold that the world works differently when individuals come together to form businesses, and that businesses inevitably are at odds with their consumers. But are they? I mean, it's true that some bad seeds, maybe think of Bernie Madoff, may benefit temporarily from fraud and the like. But he says no one can plausibly maintain that this is a successful long-term strategy. Just look at how Bernie's life turned out. In truth, rather than conflicting with a company's bottom line, the safety and satisfaction of its customers is vital to it. As one prosperous businessman, Benjamin Franklin, put it, when you're good to others, you are best to yourself. This is the open secret of every successful relationship and enterprise. And it's no different with boom. Mr. Hersey says, I spoke with CEO Blake Scholl before the company unveiled its prototype last October, and he made clear the company's commitment to seeking out and solving problems. Quote, I have a fundamental belief that supersonic flight, done right, is good for people. When there's a criticism, you first have to look in the mirror and ask, is there validity to it? And if there is, shut up and go fix it. End quote. Now, when Boom met with the FAA, both parties brought lists of potential issues. Scholl says, we brought our list, they brought theirs, and ours was actually longer. Recognizing growing customer concerns about sustainability, Boom even proactively designed its jets to run on alternative fuels. Attracting some of the best talent in the industry, Scholl has built what Wharton professor Adam Grant in his book, Think Again, calls a challenge network. That's a group of experts who aren't afraid to question each other's ideas and rethink the company's decisions as new evidence arises they recognize that they can't revolutionize flight by ignoring problems or failing to consider how best to serve customers over the long term. Now, such failures were largely responsible for the death of Boom's predecessor, the Concorde supersonic jet. The result of a joint venture between the French and British governments. Scholl says they never had the goal of building a sustainable economic model. They just wanted to show up the Russians. And they were able to do some impressive things, but... Given that the project was bankrolled by taxpayers, they did so without much thought about what actual customers wanted or could afford. That kind of makes sense. This is ever the case with taxpayer-funded projects because those running them aren't focused on winning customers, but rather checking boxes set by bureaucrats. According to one commentator, it was small, cramped, and featured seats so narrow they would shame Ryanair. By the late 1990s, crossing the Atlantic aboard the Concorde would set you back around $6,000. This for a plane, according to The Guardian, that cost taxpayers on both sides of the channel £2 billion, that's $3.2 billion, both in 2003 figures, to develop. The result? You want to see a Concorde today? You have to go to a museum. The plane was officially retired from service in 2003. Now, by contrast, private companies can't get off the ground without thinking deeply about customer demands and economic feasibility. In his first two weeks working on Boom, Scholl discovered that poor fuel economy pushed up Concorde's ticket prices. By how much do you have to beat Concorde's fuel economy, he asked, in order to make prices match modern business class? And the answer, he discovered, is 30%. An achievable target given improvements in technology and engine design over the last five decades. So Boom's growth experience the, illustrates rather the uh, beauty and the power of markets. They incentivize businesses to experiment to find the best means of satisfying customers because businesses win when their customers win. Again, this is from John Hersey. Managing Editor of the Objective Standard and uh, a Hazlitt Fellow at the Foundation for Economic Education. I like this because it illustrates exactly what he's pointing out here. You know, the power of the market in solving problems. But it also, uh, you know, I have a little personal interest in this in the idea that I would so much more look forward to a flight to Europe if I knew that somehow we were going to be cutting our flight time by about half. Had a couple of five-hour flights to Alaska, and you know what? They were long, but they weren't that long. The 10-hour flights, though, as much as I enjoy seeing my daughter and my granddaughter, and as much as I enjoyed seeing Europe, gosh, dang, those flights were not fun. (laughs) They really weren't. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. Thanks for being part of our audience today.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This
1: is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. Hey, I want to give a quick plug here for my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Everything that I mention in each episode that I post up is... Well, I, I have a link to the commentator that I'm interviewing or to the person whose, whose article I'm sharing. And I do this because I think that as wrong thinkers, we need resources. We need uh, a wide variety of sources from which we can, can garner truth. And, and by the way, I'm not trying to suggest that every single thing that you read, everything I post, why it is just written in stone and you have to believe it. You're duty bound to believe it. No, you have to suss things out for yourself. You have to determine if it makes sense or not. But I've got some great resources for wrong thinkers, and I would encourage you, go to my my website, com, and you'll find not only the resources for wrong thinkers, but you'll find links to my sponsors, you'll find uh, the opportunity to become a patron, a monthly supporter of the show, dollar, $5, $10, if you can help out. If you find value in what I'm sharing with you, please consider doing so. So, one of the people who i've really come to count on for a very straightforward take on current events is a writer by the name of Kent McManagle. and i primarily see his uh, his information come to me through uh, my my weekly emails i get about four or five different emails each week from a website everything-voluntary.com <clears throat> kent's work always stands out and i love that his approach is based on principles What's the principle at stake rather than, uh, yay, for this political personality or for this party? And he has a very interesting take on how drug abuse is stupid, but prohibition is evil. And I just use this as an example of this. This is a great way to, to put principle above politics. Kent McManigle says it's normal to focus on things that matter to us personally but it's harder to care about everything else. So he says, I'm the most vocal about liberty I see being attacked the hardest. This is why I mention gun owner rights so often. These rights are currently attracting the most hate. By the way, I think 60 Minutes had a terrific hit piece on America's Rifle, the AR-15, last night. Didn't watch it, but I know some people were pretty upset <laughs> by whatever they were saying. Ken McManigle says, if you want me to defend a right, just start a coordinated attack against it. Now he says, beyond rights I care about the most, you have the right to do things that don't interest me at all, or things I don't like. But as long as it neither picks my pocket nor breaks my leg, as Thomas Jefferson said, nor the pockets or legs of anyone else, I support your right to live as you wish. I don't care who it offends. There is no right to not be offended. Kent McManigle says, I recognize and respect the equal and identical rights of every human being alive. It matters to me when those rights are violated, whoever's doing the violating, and however they justify it. So even though for him, he says, access to marijuana isn't important to me, he says, I write about it because it's a right that matters to many people. It attracts attention, both from those who recognize the right to trade and use it, and those who want to continue using government violence to violate the right. Now, Ken McManagle says all choices have consequences, accidental or intentional. Some of the things you have a right to do can hurt or kill you. Misuse of any drug, especially those more dangerous than cannabis, is one of those things. But he says I still oppose drug prohibition. Drug abuse is stupid, but prohibition is pure evil. If you're irresponsible, you can harm others something you have no right to do, saying you were under the influence when you accidentally harmed someone, can't wipe away the debt your act created. You also owe restitution, just as surely as if you are under the influence of political authority and harm someone with legislation. So he says, accept your responsibility. Self-employed bad guys are almost as much of a problem as those who believe they're entitled to violate your rights. The mugger and the tax collector are doing the same job with the same result, there is no difference other than it's more socially acceptable to defend yourself from one thief than it is to defend yourself from the other. Sorry, thats uh, I, I think I heard a few heads explode off in the distance, but it's true. Just because you dress it up in government legitimacy doesn't make it morally right. So Kent McManigle says respect liberty, even those parts you don't care about. It's what society needs most. Straightforward. Boom. That's the principle at stake. By the way, let's talk a little bit about free speech. I don't think you'll find many people who would disagree with the notion that free speech is a good thing. But a lot of folks seem to be willing to abandon that if that free speech in some way offends them. J.D. Tuseal, writing for Reason.com, is warning that the people pushing for more government power grabs always seem to view free speech as a danger to their ambitions. And this, of course, has impact on those of us who want to speak freely. J.D. Tuseel says freedom of expression wins strong endorsements around the world when people are asked, so say researchers, so why have protections for speech consistently slipped for over a decade? Well, he says part of the problem is that many of those surveyed embrace a convenient attitude toward the issue. They support protections for speech of which they approve, but not of speech that offends them. And unfortunately, a right that you're willing to extend only to yourself and your allies is no right at all. And leaves freedom available only to those who wield power. Support for free speech is generally expressed by great majorities in all countries when people are asked by their opinions, or asked about their opinions rather. That's a, that's a study called "Who Cares About Free Speech," a report recently published by Danish think tank Justitia, Columbia University's Global Freedom Expression, and Aarhus University's Department, Department of Political Science, in February of this year. Researchers surveyed an average of 1,500 respondents in 33 different countries. That's 1,500 in each of 33 different countries to come up with that seemingly encouraging result. But the devil is in the details, says J.D. Tussiel. While citizens in most countries think that criticism of the government should be allowed, many people are unwilling to allow statements that are critical or insulting of particular groups, their religion or the nation, the authors add. Moreover, citizens do not always prioritize free speech when there's a potential trade-off with other things they value, such as national security, good health, and the economy. Now, some of these exceptions are stark. Majorities in 14 countries say that governments should be able to prevent people from making statements that are offensive to your religion and beliefs. Most of the countries on that list aren't a shock, I mean, is anybody surprised to discover that majorities in Egypt, Russia, and Turkey think that free speech sup- protection shouldn't extend to criticism of their own ideas? But Brazil is on that list, too. Even the Germans are divided, with 47% agreeing government should be able to muzzle expression they find offensive. Germany is similarly divided when it comes to insults to the national flag, with 48% supporting government restrictions. The same share as in Australia. But 56% in France agree, placing that country among the 21 countries where majorities say government should be able to prevent people from insulting the national symbol. Now, Germans and Australians, along with Britons, rank among the majorities in 22 countries who think that government should be able to prevent people from saying things that are offensive to minorities. Germany, by the way, is the birthplace of a new wave of Internet hate speech censorship laws sweeping the world. And he writes, majorities in Kenya, Malaysia, Nigeria, Pakistan, Russia, and Tunisia say government should be able to prevent people from making statements in support of homosexual relationships. What? They're not celebrating Pride Month? I thought that was mandatory. I guess that's, that's only in free societies. Majorities in 19 countries, including the United States and the United Kingdom, say that government should be able to prevent media organizations from publishing information about sensitive issues related to national security. And he asks, will we just have to take officialdom's word for it that suppressed articles were national security related? Well, the survey doesn't say. We're going to come back to J.D. Tuseel's take on uh, free speech and how the world loves free speech except when they're offended. Come on, we've all been guilty of this at one point or the other. Anybody who's clamoring for, hey, we need to shut that person up, or they they need to be deplatformed. We cannot hear their ideas. They're too dangerous. They're on the wrong side of history. Take care. You're not one of those people.
0: This is the Brian Hyde Show.
1: This is the Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back from the break. I'm sharing with you an article from JD Seal from Reason.com. The world loves free speech except when they're offended. And this, this seems to ring true. I think he's dialed in on human nature here. I think we've all been guilty of this from time to time. The question is, if you are so offended by someone else's free speech that you actually want, you know, like official ways of shutting them down, deplatforming them, you know, otherwise silencing them, is it because your own ideas can't withstand scrutiny, can't withstand any dissent? I know that sounds like I'm being provocative here. I'm not, I'm not trying to challenge it to a fight, but how good can your ideas be if they can't handle even the slightest bit of opposition? And I say this as someone who has, you know, regularly been called names, had my motives called into question, and been accused of being everything but a child of God by uh, various critics. Yeah, it's not exactly fun sometimes, and sometimes the the name-calling, it's like, wow, that's that kind of hurts. But there comes a point, especially for people who, who care about speaking the truth or who care about publishing truth or proclaiming truth, where you realize you don't have to have everyone's acceptance. You don't have to have everyone agree. In fact, sometimes your critics are the best measure that, hey, I've been noticed. Or I'm reaching somebody other than just the choir that I would be preaching to. And so you learn to not care what what those critics think. I mean, obviously, if there's something you can learn, you know, if there's something that actually enlarges your understanding or that can correct an error that you may be making, by all means, consider that. But it's amazing how liberating it is to, to just not have to worry about Uh, Well, I need other people's approval uh, for me to feel good, for me to feel like I'm doing my thing. You know, someone has to approve of my free speech. Nonsense. You just need to be able to speak it. I love the saying, speak the truth, even if your voice shakes. J.D. Tuseel in his article says, given the exceptions that many people carve out in their generic endorsement of free speech and that public opinion about free speech, you know, popular demand, tends to go hand-in-hand with the actual enjoyment of this right government supply, according to the survey. He says the consequences are no surprise. Global freedom of expression is in decline, now at its lowest for a decade. That's according to the 2019-2020 report from Article 19. That's a British organization named after the portion of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights addressing free speech protections. More than half of the world's population, around 3.9 billion people, live in countries rated in crisis. Now, the slide's been accelerated by the worsening condition for liberty in countries with large populations, including Bangladesh, China, India, Russia, and Turkey. People suffering creeping censorship may gain new appreciation for shrinking liberty. Among the top-ranked countries rather, in Justicia's free speech index are Hungary and Venezuela. And they rank well, not because of their protections for citizens' rights. Hungary has an elected but increasingly illiberal government, while the totalitarian of, uh, totalitarianism rather, of Venezuela's socialist regime is limited only by its decaying resources. But because their residents voice strong support in the survey for the freedoms that they're losing. Offering some comfort is that Americans also highly ranked at third place after only Norway and Denmark. Even on the contentious issue of social media, 29% of Americans say there should be no regulation, while 37% say any regulation should be done only by the social media companies themselves. Only 34% want the government to play even a shared role in social media regulation. Now, on the other hand, 43% of Americans say that their ability to speak freely about political matters in this country has worsened in the past 12 months. That's compared to 17% who think it has improved and 40% who say it's unchanged. Now, that may foreshadow a long-term shift since, as other researchers have found, younger Americans are less supportive of free speech. The consequences can be seen in part in the erosion of the ACLU as a civil liberties advocate as younger staffers push it away from its traditional emphasis on freedom of expression. He says variance in support for free speech extends beyond age differences. In the U.S., young people, women, the less educated, and Biden voters are generally more restrictive regarding free speech. Again, this is according to Who Cares About Free Speech report. That said, while the strength of support varies in the U.S., majorities of men and women alike and across ages, education levels, and partisan affiliations still say they favor free speech. Now, J.D. Tuseel says free speech isn't the only quality of free societies eroding in recent years. The Economist Democracy Index 2020 observed, democracy has not been in robust health for some time. In 2020, its strength was further tested by the outbreak of the coronavirus pandemic. And across the world in 2020, citizens experienced the biggest rollback of individual freedoms ever undertaken by governments during peacetime and perhaps even in wartime. J.D. seal says other sources report similar erosion of liberal democratic norms accelerated by government power grabs during the pandemic so now we can add free speech to the mix. With populations in some places skeptical of core protections for expression, government officials surprise nobody when they reach for expanded power. Defeating them and reasserting fundamental freedoms will be difficult without popular support. I'll have a link to this article in the show notes at the Brian Hyde show.com. I would strongly recommend you check it out for yourself. These are the show notes for June 14th, 2021. By the way, speaking of the dangers of free speech, I don't know if you saw this story, but uh, um, there have been a lot of different uh, speech-related issues pertaining to the uh, lockdowns. This is one of the reasons why I'm very adamant that uh, we cannot allow the people who push these lockdowns to skate on the idea of, well, we were just trying to do something. We had to do something. Because in many cases, what they did was just simply Evil. It was slapping about in the dark, hoping to connect with something. And they hurt a lot of innocent people in the process. So maybe I shouldn't be surprised when I see that Michigan's Attorney General, Dana Nessel, actually sought to arrest a business owner in order to thwart that business owner's appearance on Fox News. Emails obtained by Michigan Capital Confidential, last Friday show State Attorney General Dana Nessel sought to arrest a defiant business owner prior to a scheduled appearance on Fox News. Marlena Hackney, purveyor of Marlena's Bistro and Pizzeria in Holland, Michigan, repeatedly defied orders to shutter her business and made frequent appearances on cable news programs and local media outlets to denounce Governor Gretchen Whitmer's coronavirus orders. Hey, I say good for her. Because Governor Whitmer did not want to give up those emergency powers. She wasn't as bad as Gavin Newsom. He's going to hold on to him as long as he can because he feels like, I'm going to need these powers. (laughs) That should make you wonder, what what exactly does he have planned? A March 12th email from Nestle to her communications director and several aides indicated that they knew that Marlena Hackney was going to give an interview to Tucker Carlson on Fox News that evening. Nessel in that email wrote, do we know her whereabouts? We should just have her picked up before she goes on. This is outrageous. Nessel wrote to aides in another email, should I be prepared to respond to this? I hope she gets the full 93 days for this. That's the, is that the max for a criminal contempt or just uh, civil contempt? <laughs> Hackney, an immigrant who fled communist Poland as a teenager, had originally been charged with a misdemeanor for refusing to close her establishment, and then she was cited for contempt of court. In another communication, A.G. Nessel said, does the Michigan State Police intend to go find her, or are they planning to wait until next week? Hackney was ultimately arrested on March 19th as she drove to her business before the sun was up. Breitbart News was on location the morning troopers picked her up. Hundreds rallied outside the restaurant over the weekend before she was released from the Ingram County, Ingram County Jail March 23rd, some 100 miles away from her home. Michonne Maddock, vice chair of the Michigan Republican Party, told the crowd Whitmer's policies can kill seniors and and lie about it, and Nestle just writes it off. But if Marlena in Holland serves a sandwich, well, she's got to serve time. Kelly Rossman McKinney, communications director for Nestle, defended the attempt to arrest her before the Fox News appearance, claiming it would likely have emboldened others to break the law. Except it wasn't really a law, was it? It was just a dictate pronounced by someone in an executive position who is not a lawmaker and who really has no legitimate authority. And even after the courts slapped down her illegitimate power grab, still asserted illegitimate authority. I'm going to come back to this story in a few moments. My goal here is not to make you angry, not to have you hearing your pulse in your ears, but to definitely point out this is the reason why we have to keep Power limited, or this kind of mischief will ensue.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just a quick shout-out to our sponsors, hslammo.com, pure-light.com, and College.org. I'm actually excited here in a couple of weeks. Actually, end of uh, next week, I get to go visit. I get to go speak at Monticello College. I only brag a little bit because it's such a beautiful little campus in a very quiet and peaceful place. One of the very few peaceful places left that I can think of. So I'm sharing this article. This is from Breitbart.com about uh, the Attorney General in Michigan seeking the arrest of a business owner because she was afraid that business owners' appearance on Fox News might embolden others to break the law. Now, if the law really was the most important thing, you know, maybe it would be easy to say, well, yeah, you know, if she's going out there encouraging them to riot, Maxine Waters, I'm looking your direction, that would be wrong. But what she was doing was she was trying to keep her business from being destroyed by the irrational and ineffective lockdown mandates being handed down from Michigan's governor. And I think we can safely say there were a lot of public officials who very clearly demonstrated that uh, they feared something that was even more contagious than the coronavirus. And that is, if someone saw, well, like like this business owner, Ms. Hackney, acting with courage, that that courage would be contagious as well. And I'm thinking they're probably right to be concerned, but they're also wrong in the reasons for why they're concerned. Now, after Hackney's arrest, Michigan Capital Confidential reported that her arrest likely violated court guidelines. Michigan State Police then transported Hackney roughly 100-plus miles to the Ingham County Jail on a civil contempt of court warrant issued by the 55th District Court which is in Ingham County. But Hackney's offense does not appear to meet the court's guidelines for arrests during a pandemic. These guidelines recommend that individuals be arrested if they are wanted for serious felonies, including assaults, criminal sexual conduct, and all offenses subject to life in prison. They also recommend arrests for individuals suspected of violating conditions of a bond or probation or failing to appear in court when required for serious offenses like these. Arrests are not recommended for property offenses, misdemeanor warrants, and failure to appear in court or pay fines and costs related to minor offenses. Putting Michiganders in jail for exercising their constitutional rights and speaking out against their government is un-American. That's gubernatorial candidate Tudor Dixon. In fact, Attorney General Nessel's comment clearly shows her use of state law enforcement to target Ms. Hackney, for speaking out against Whitmer's government. This is the Chinese Communist Party-style police state tyranny. It is unacceptable in the United States of America. I mean, just take this for what it's worth. This is a warning. This is what happens when you sit back and don't challenge what certain people in government want to do. There are things that are legitimate, but even those things that are legitimate still require the consent of the governed. So don't roll over quite so easy. It's hard to be the person who leads out, as Ms. Hackney found out. But that one person standing in defiance can definitely lead to a spread of courage among other people to do likewise. And there comes a point, there's a tipping point where enough people say, this is it, we're done. I mean, we saw this earlier this year, right? When when a lot of the lockdowns ended, it wasn't because, well, because the science has concluded and Dr. Fauci concurs that, you know, we're all safe to, to go back to some degree of normalcy. I think in most cases, it was, you know, officials who just said, oh, my gosh, people are going to do this anyways. Oh, Okay, well, we've gone ahead and lifted the uh, lockdowns. And Yeah. Good luck trying to catch up. The cows were already out of the barn. You're just standing at the barn door, looking at that empty barn, going, oh, look, I have freed you all. Nope, the cows kicked that door open themselves quite some time back. Although it's cute that you want to take credit for it. But not everybody's fooled. All right, one final note here. And, you know, it's it's getting tough not to notice the way prices are rising on just about everything, Done a little grocery shopping in the last couple of weeks, and I've been, ooh, I'm seeing the prices go higher. And, this, you know, I haven't shopped for lumber in a while, but I understand that's where the real sticker shock is. And, by the way, paying attention to the fact that, uh, that uh, inflation, particularly food inflation, is flashing red, isn't a matter of gloom and doom. And I don't share this with you to build any kind of a sense of fear or a sense of hopelessness that, oh, man, another thing that's falling apart I am trying very hard to be a realist, though. And I think part of that means we have to face facts that, uh, while unpleasant, nonetheless, are facts. And and more importantly, recognize, uh, you know, are there areas in my own life or in my family's lives that we need to shore up? And the food inflation thing, this concerns me. This is an article from National Review by Joseph Sullivan. And it says, it starts with... Uh, it starts with an article, a quote from an article he wrote back on June 2nd of 2020. As no country is immune to COVID-19 disruptions in the food supply chain, food inflation is now again on the prowl. And he says, now a year later, its prowl has turned into a pounce. According to data released by the United Nations on June 3rd of this year, global food inflation has jumped to a height unseen in roughly a decade. Now last year, Food inflation was a worry for many government officials. Now, it's materialized into a real foe that many are grappling with. And this foe, the latest numbers indicate, has grown to the point that it poses a real threat to the stability of governments. So it's not just that, hey, you might might have trouble finding the food or the necessary things to feed your family. Regimes uh, can rise and fall in the grocery store as well. Over the last year, this article says many new developments have joined COVID-19 in putting upward pressure on food prices. The Russia-based cyber attack that disabled a key U.S. meat production facility is just the latest addition. Others include Brazil's worst drought in over 90 years and the Biden administration's own economic policies. Even an effective end of the pandemic then now appears unlikely to effectively end the ongoing rise in food prices. I actually heard people describe this as it's, it's a perfect storm. Now, with last year's food price fears coming to fruition, governments wary of discontent at the grocery store are taking action. For instance, says eclectic a set of governments as Argentina, Russia and the European Union have imposed restrictions on exports of grain, a commodity each produces in abundance. But these export restrictions, however effective they may be at controlling domestic prices, cannot mitigate inflation at a global level. For instance, Russia, which Egypt imports uh, many of its raw vegetable seeds from, imposed new export taxes on vegetable seeds back in April. In May, Egypt started offering consumers smaller bottles of subsidized vegetable oil after an increase in the price of imported raw oil seeds compelled officials to raise the price of the original size bottle. Now, there are charts in this article which will show, along with this data, how global food inflation has reached rates consistent with discontent, boiling over into real trouble for governments. The last time year-over-year food inflation hovered near the 40% uh, range uh, was in in March 2011. That's when large-scale protests first erupted in Syria. Those who were part of the Arab Spring movement, catalyzed just a few months before that in December of 2010, by a Tunisian street vendor's self immolation amid frustrating living conditions. Now, while the Arab Spring had many causes, the run up in food prices certainly seems to have been one factor behind this complex phenomenon. Research has documented a robust link between food price increases and food-related unrest, and the prices of cereals, that's a popular food in the Middle East, had risen by a particularly large amount in the run-up to it. Now, Joseph Sullivan says, look, the similarities in the trajectory of food inflation between the start of the decade of the 2010s and the 2020s is hard to miss. In each, amid weak economic conditions, food inflation starts off modest, if not negative, negative." Soon, however, a combination of factors leads year-over-year food price increases to climb steadily higher and higher, broaching even 40%. Will this episode of food inflation end with its own Arab Spring somewhere in the world? A period of political unrest that reshapes global politics for at least the next decade? Well, The answer is it's too soon to tell, but it's not too soon to say this. Based on the latest numbers, you certainly shouldn't rule it out. Now, taking it out of the political realm, let's talk about this briefly in practical terms. If you are not stocked up, and I don't mean you've got at least a two-year supply and, you know, all the survival foods that you'll need. I'm just saying you should have a deeper pantry than just, you know, a week's worth of food or a couple of weeks' worth of food. Better still, if you could have, you know, several months, you know, for some people, the year mark is is kind of a good measure of you know rule of thumb to measure you know how prepared am i but you buy the food at today's prices and if those prices continue going higher well it's still a smart bet because you're saving money or at least you're not spending as much on stuff that you're going to actually use thanks again for joining us this is the brian hyde show